<laughs> you can take that. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you, guys. So, um, my family, the Hebdens, we have in my, my family, my family of five, we have several rules that we live by. Maybe you guys have your own family rules, the way you, you live life. And one of the ones that is of utmost important in our life is the one you would probably recognize, and that is we are required, and I require my kids to be duck fans. That is, that is a requirement. It is not an option. We buy them duck gear, duck books. We talk about the ducks. Let me explain why. Let me, yes, let me explain why. I, and this will be part of the sermon. It really is. I'm not just up here promoting the ducks. But we, I have lived in Oregon longer than I've lived in Spokane. So I have some people say, well, you live in Washington. I, I have, yes, I do now. But I've lived in Oregon longer. And it was during my elementary years and then my college years and shortly after, my formative years, I was there. And when you and my kids, they were born a block off of the Oregon Duck campus. So when my wife was in labor, I did the only rational thing and walk across the street to the Starbucks on Oregon Duck campus while she was in labor, waiting for my children to be born. So these are, these are the stories that I tell my kids. They are... They're, they were in Eugene, and they're, they're Eugene Duck kids, and we, I buy them presents. We talk about it. So I'm raising them to be Duck fans. And when they... I have one in particular that likes to rebel, and we just correct that kid. <laughs> we just bring correction. But we tell them the stories. We say, this is the rule. You will be Duck fans. Here's the gear. Here's the stories. You were born at the hospital right next door. We live there. We drive by Autzen Stadium. We tell them all these stories. And because it's important to us. It's what makes us Hebdens. My wife, I got to talk about her. She's a part of this too. She, she's only 29-ish years old. She looks younger, but she's lived in Oregon most of her life. And so it's, it's a part of who we are. We talk about the ducks and we, we raise them to be duck fans with, with rules and with stories and experiences. We have in the Bible, similarly, God telling the Israelites what it is to be a part of his family. And in the midst of that, he does give rules and he does give stories about what he's done and what he's done for them and how they've come out, how they began and what they're a part of. God tells them who they are going to be and a lot of it has to do with who he is. So when we're gonna look today at Leviticus 19, one chapter in the Bible, and I think part of our problem is when we look at the Bible, when we look at God, I hear people say, God is just a God of rules. You can do this or don't do that. Do this, do that, don't do that. All the stuff that I want to do, I can't do. It's not fun. It's not allowed. And so we have a misconception of God who he, we think he's a rule maker, that's it's just a big list of what I can and can't do. And if I do what he wants me to do, then I'm okay. Then I'm a good person. Then I'll make it to heaven. As long as my good outweighs my bad. As long as the stuff that I'm doing during the week kind of balances out with the weekend, I'm pretty good. And I think what happens is we misunderstand God and we miss the point. We miss the point of what God is doing. So we're going to read this Bible passage that gives us some rules for God, that God, he gives to us. 
In order to understand this appropriately, though, we need to understand the story behind this passage. So the Israelites have just left Egypt. You guys are all familiar with Moses, hopefully, most of us. So the Israelites have been in Egypt as slaves for over 400 years. Moses, they're crying out. They are working hard every single day. It's, it's miserable. And they're crying out for God to save them. And Moses comes, God sends Moses, and Moses leads them out miraculously out of Egypt. And they're on their way to the promised land. But what we need to make sure we're not missing here is they've been in Egypt for 400 years. They have Egyptian culture embedded into who they are. They, they may or may not know all the stories of, of God. They would probably know about Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, but they certainly know a lot of the Egyptian stuff too because that's where they live. That's, that's what makes them who they are is they're living in Egypt. So they know the gods of the Egyptians. And now they're traveling to a different place called Canaan. And guess what? There are people there that have gods. So they're moving from one place where they are slaves with gods and a way of life and priorities and values. They're moving to a completely different place with gods, a way of life, priorities. And God is trying to tell them that they are not like the Egyptians and they are not like the Canaanites, but they are unique. They are God's people. In fact, even though even the landscape is different. So in Egypt, they're shepherds. In Israel, they be, have to become agriculturers and farmers. It's hill country there, and they have to learn these differences. So God has to communicate a message to these Israelites about who he is because they are Egyptian bound by their culture, headed to a new place, and that if they move there, that could become a part of who they are, and God doesn't want that. He also, though, Think about this. They have had no government. They've had no president or king. They have Pharaoh and their slave masters. How are they going to run a, a country? They've got nothing. And once Moses would die, then they're really in trouble. And we see that actually in Judges. It goes, jo it goes Moses, Joshua, complete mess. Uh, and that's with God helping them. So God is, has them stopped and camped on Mount Sinai to give them the Ten Commandments so that they can understand who he is. They are to be separate from the Egyptianites, Egyptians separate from the Canaanites and their own unique people. So we get this list in, in Leviticus 19 about some of the laws that God wants to teach them. He wants to, he, and some of them just include basic principles for life, not just government, but they're wandering in the wilderness. What are we going to do with the meat? Simple stuff that is, these poor people are in the midst of a huge transition. And God is saying, I have rules to help you function in life. So that's what Leviticus 19 is about. Let's look at it. Leviticus 19, I'm going to read just ver a couple verses at a time and talk about them. Verse 1 and 2 says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That word holy, I, I talk about this quite a bit, because holy is just a unique word. We don't use holy anywhere else outside of these walls except when it's inappropriate, right? 
We, we only say holy when we shouldn't be saying holy. It's just a weird word. What does holy even mean? So we come and we sing holy, 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 and then I think to myself, what does that even mean? What am I singing? You need have, sometimes you gotta tell your kids, maybe you don't, I do. do you, why are you saying what you don't even know what it means? You need to learn what you're saying here. You're gonna get yourself in trouble. And we sing holy, 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 and I'm thinking, I don't even, what's going on here? What's this mean, word mean? So let's talk about holy for just a second. Holy appears three times in this one chapter. It appears three times, but it is the theme of this whole section. In fact, chapter, or verse two, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy, basically summarizes this whole chapter. So we need to understand what holy means. Holy means set apart distinct, different, and it also means free from defilement. So it's completely separate and it's completely pure. So you could be completely different, but if you're messed up, you're not holy. God is completely different. There is nothing on, in creation that is anything like him. There's nothing that is like him. And he is free from evil or any impurities. He is without blemish. That is what holy means, different and pure, set apart. And he's saying, I am holy. I am not like anything you've seen, and I am without blemish. And because I am, you are also. So he is, he is holy. And he's linking us. He's saying, because I am, you are. There's a linking of relationship. He's saying, we're in this together. What I am, you are. What you are, I'm going to be associated with. We, there's a linking relationship here. And this relationship is not like anything ever seen in the history of humanity. See, what's normally the case, the Egyptians and the Canaanites and just about every other culture in the world, they viewed the gods as just a mess. If you know the Greek gods, they're all kinds of crazy killing people. And what, the reason that humanity was made, according to these beliefs, was to basically feed the gods. The gods didn't want to work. They didn't want to do anything. So they thought, we'll just make humanity to be our slaves. They'll feed us. And so the humanity's role, according to the Egyptians and Canaanites, was to feed the gods and make the gods happy. And if you made the gods happy, then they wouldn't kill you off. That was the view of God. And God is saying, I'm not like that. I'm holy and I'm with you. You're with me. We're in this together. He's the one doing the work here. He's the one putting the effort. He's just saying, I'm, I'm holy. You're going to be linked to me. Completely different. It's a completely different relationship than's ever been established on earth at this time. So he's also saying, though, our conduct, I'm holy, so that's involving actions, is linked together. So my conduct is going to need to be your conduct. So let's look at how all this goes together. We're going to read verses three and four. He says, every one of you, shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. In this one chapter, God says, I am the Lord your God eight times. You think that's a message there. He says, I am the Lord seven times. So in 20 something verses, 15 times he's saying, I am the Lord your God, or I am the Lord. When he says those things, when he's repeating himself, we should probably start to listen. 
And every time he says that, he's, it's after a thought or, or, or something he really wants us, us to catch. So in this case, he's saying, revere your mother and father and honor your Sabbath. And, and so that's the first one. And then he says, don't make for yourselves if any gods or, or idols. I am the Lord your God. So he's communicating something, a, a thought to us. When he says, revere or respect your father or your mother, that is the same Hebrew word as when you say, fear the Lord your God. You guys familiar with that Bible passage? Fear God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's the same word. So you could say, fear your parents or, or, or revere God. It's the same word, just translated a little differently. The point is, ultimately, ultimate respect. Very much submitted to authority. So, I, maybe, maybe you haven't heard this. I heard this that for men, that when women are thinking about getting married to a guy, they should look at that guy and how they treat their mothers and how they treat their mother will be a reflection of what they will, how they will treat their wife. Has anybody heard that? No, first service was like unanimous. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's an early riser thing. So a few people, how you treat, how men treat their mothers will be a reflection of how they treat their wives. Some of you are saying, I wish he'd treat me like he treated his mother. Man, <laughs> good luck next week. You got that one. <laughs> so, but the point is, is if you respect your parents, you will respect authority. And God is setting up a, 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 a rule here that if we show our parents respect, if we revere them, if we submit to their authority, we're more likely to respect and submit to God's authority. In, in my family's life, I really try to help my kids understand obeying me, being respectful to me and my wife, not because I'm crazy awesome. It's because I hope that when they leave my house, they have understood what it means to submit to authority so that when they get in conflict, when they go out there and they are trying to figure out what God wants, they will obey. When they have difficulty with their boss, they will know that he's an authority and there's an appropriate way to deal with people in authority. And God is saying, obey your parents because he wants them to submit to him. So if we look at the second part, though, he says, and keep, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. It's weird that those two are linked, isn't it? Why, what does honoring your parents and keeping Sabbath have to do with anything? Well, what's honoring the Sabbath about? The... If we think about the Israelites, they have come from 400 years of slavery. And slavery wasn't just a, hey, what time do you want to get up in the morning? I think I've got some work to do. It's, you are, de you are demanded when to get up, when to go to bed, what to get done. It was, there was no days off. There was no President's Day to get the no school day. There was no Fourth of July barbecue you got to spend time with. There was only work. These people literally were worked to death. That was their life. They worked, they died, the end. And God has brought them out of slavery. And this is what he says. All I want one day. I, I brought you out of slavery. Work six days. All I want is one day a week. Can you spend one day a week with me? That's what I want. And they would say, yeah, let's do it. One, one day off, we, we, we are blessed. We had, at the beginning of this country, we had a little bit of a debate. Are we gonna follow the Jewish week 
and get Saturdays off or the Christian week and get Sundays off. So in the wisdom of our forefathers, they said, let's give them both. And we said, amen. <laughs> we get both days off. And even though we get both days off, we still have trouble spending a day with Jesus. Isn't that weird? We had, God has brought us out of so much and yet we say, ah, oh, man, I'm tired. That movie ran late last night. God is saying, keep my Sabbath, not because he wants to make it a rule. He's saying, keep my Sabbath, but because he says, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. Look what I've brought you out of. I, you've been in slavery. I just want to spend some time with you. Come, come hang out with me. So we come to church and we sing and we worship, not because we have to, but because we get to say, I just want to be with God. The problem is when we start making it a rule. We get our checklists of what it is to be a good person, and we say, I, I want to be a good person. I should go to church once every two months, pray when I feel like it, and read my Bible once a week. I'm good. Check it off the list. And, and we're missing the point. The point is not about being good people. That's not the point. God is saying, I want to be with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. When we go to see my in-laws in Vancouver, Washington, my, so we're, we stay with my father and mother-in-law. My brother-in-law lives in the house exactly behind them. So they've built a fence with a gate to there. There's already a fence. They put a gate in. So my kids are running back and forth between their cousin's house. There's people over all the time. I don't see them for like four days. When we're in the van on the way back, I always look back and I always say, oh, look, it's my kids. It's so nice to have you guys here. Good to be together as a family again. I can't imagine what it would be like for you guys that have been teenage, teenage kids that have gone up and grown up and they're just gone for days and they come and they eat and they go to bed and they leave again. Don't you just want to spend time as a family? And you're not saying, come home, come home to dinner. You will be home at dinner just to make a rule. You're not just looking to be a jerk about it. You just want to say, I love my kids. Let's, let's have a meal together. Let's, let's spend a few minutes together as a family. I love you guys. And so when we're talking about coming to church, when we're talking about reading the Bible, when we're talking about praying, it is not a check it off the list, I'm a good person. It is a chance for us to say, God, I realize I love you. I realize how much you've done for me. Thank you. It is not a checklist or a duty that we check off. It's God saying, I just want to be with you. That's what that first section is. So he's like that good parent that just wants to spend time together. That's that first section. So then we get to that next verse and it says, verse four says, do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So again, God's not trying to just make up rules here and say, don't have a picture or a, don't have an idol of a big fat bald guy on your mantle. That's not the point, right? He is saying, it'd be like this. Here's an example. If you are married and you are a man, you're married, you have a wife, she's wonderful, and she finds you looking at some magazines or something on the internet that is inappropriate, she would be upset. Why? Because it's not her. She, you have a wife, you have a real relationship, someone you can talk to, someone who's right in front of you, and what you've done is you've replaced her with an image. It's not a real person. 
It's not somebody who can talk back to you. It's not any kind of relationship. All you have is an image or a picture of somebody. You can imagine why your wife would be upset with that. God is the same way. He, we have a relationship with God. When we start putting up other idols, we're saying, I'm having an affair on God. I'm, I, would rather do, I would rather be with some fake image than you, God. So he's not saying, don't put up, don't put up fake pictures just because I don't really want to look at it. He's saying, no, I love you. I don't want anybody else in the middle of our relationship. So you say, Isaac, I don't have any bald fat guys on my mantle. No, but I've seen some of your guys' mantles with the big screens, and they're impressive. <laughs> but what is your idol then? I love TV, and TV's not bad, but if I can walk into your house and you walk into mine, you can probably get a pretty good idea of what's running our house. What is, what is taking the place of God or can take the place of God? Maybe if you've got 47 pictures of your firstborn child, your firstborn might be great, but he's not gonna save you. So what, there are certain things that we have to make sure we're not replacing because they're not, they're not God. So what in your life is taking the place? What's an image? It could be power, could be money, could be relationships. There's lots of different things out there. But ultimately, God wants all of those things to come after him. The next thing says that uh, th these are all commands about what God wants to, for his people. So these aren't rules, just for rules sake. God isn't just having a 10 commandment just to, to make sure you're lining up. It's not on a grading system. You don't get an A, B, or C, or an F. There's not those options. But we like those, don't we? We like grades. We say we don't, but at least we know, like, okay, I don't, I, I'm not as good as this guy, so I'm good not getting that grade. And I don't really want to be with that nerd, so I'm going to just bump up just a little bit. I'm comfortable in my C zone, right? We, we, we either look at that, or maybe we strive to get those good grades, and we're that perfect person, or maybe our identity is being that guy who hates school, and so we're going to be the rebel, and so we're, we're striving, and we're, we're going to forget all the rules just because we don't want to be the rules. So rules help us judge, and that is not the point of the rules. We make rules just so we can compare, so we can say, Oh yeah, I want to be like that. In fact, there was a guy in college who I knew he was older than me, he was holier than me, he was better than me. And I'd look at him and I'd say, hmm, yep, yeah, I'm not him. So that means I can do this, 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 and this. Yes, right? That's what we do, we compare. 1,500 years after Leviticus was written, Jesus is walking on the earth. And he is talking to a group of people who've made a professional living out of following the rules. They have made rules for their rules for their rules. They've, they've so blown these rules out of proportion that they, are, they don't even know what the point of the rules are. They just know they have all these rules to follow the rules. It is a mess. They have completely missed the point. And Jesus preaches a sermon in Matthew 23 that is about as bold as you'll ever hear. He calls them snakes, whitewashed tombs. I mean, he just lets them have it. I would be ducking for cover. Uh, Jesus says this to this group of Pharisees, the religious people that have followed the rules. He says in verse 23 of chapter 23, he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here's what the Pharisees have done. They know they're supposed to give. They know they're supposed to tithe. So this is, this is what they literally did. They took out their spices, weighed their spices, and measured a tenth of their dill and cumin and uh, pepper. They measured it all and tithed 10% off of their pepper. Meanwhile, they are blasting the, the needy and the poor. They're saying, look, I'm glad I'm not like those guys. They're blasting the people that actually need help but they've tithed off of their spice rack. And Jesus says, you've missed the point. The point is not to tithe off of your spice rack. The point is to be gracious, kind, merciful, and just. If you would be merciful, just, and kind, you would follow the other rules. They've missed the point. They've made the rules the point. And Jesus says, you're, you're missing it. It's, it's similar to like yesterday my kids it was cold out in the morning so we told them to put their coat on which they hated they hated putting their coat on now do we tell them to put their coat on because we want to fight with them let's see how we can make them angry today put on your coats <laughs> no no we know that it's cold outside and if they put their coats on they'll be warm and hopefully they won't get sick but they don't know that they just want to go without their coats now, are they going to get sick every single time that they are out in the cold weather? No. So there might be some times where they don't have their coat on and they don't get sick. Just like sometimes when you, don't, when you sin, you're not going to get caught. You're not going to get caught every time. But eventually, my kids will be out in the cold without their coat and they're going to get sick. They're not going to listen to me. Now, I'm not giving my kids rules just to be a a bummer of a dad I'm wanting to take care of them because I love them and I don't want them to get sick and hurt and God has given us rules not so that he can just be a dictator God he's given us rules because he loves us and he doesn't want to get sick he doesn't want us to get sick we're missing the point so in church we have all kinds of crazy rules don't we we have all kinds of crazy rules in church um we have to be in church every, every week, We'd, some would say, or at least two times a month. We're kind of getting a little more lax on that in the 21st century. Uh, read the Bible. You have to say thou. When you, when you pray, you got to say thou. Oh, thou great and highest father. You know, those, there's these prayers that we come up with. But that's not the point. The point is God saying, I just want to be with you. Forget the rules. I just want to be with you. If you would just be with me, you'd want to be in the rules. So when I say forget the rules, some of you guys are saying, get them, get them, Isaac, preach it. Finally, some good preaching in here. Um, no, hold on, hold on. I, I'll, I'll get there, I'll get there. What, what I'm not saying is you can do whatever you want. I'm not saying you can do whatever you want. What I'm saying is if you are loving God, you will do the rules. You will do the rules. If you love God, you will want to come to church. If you love God, you will read your Bible. If you love God, you will join a converge group. Not because you're saying, oh, I don't really want to be in a converge group. I don't have time. You say, no, I just love talking to people about Jesus. Where can I do it at? Time and place. Let's go. If you love God, you want to be where God's at and you want to follow the rules. So last week we talked about 
putting action to our intention, right? You can think about doing something good for a long time, but if you don't do it, who cares? When you are in love with God, you do things. You do generous things. You do kind things. You are holy because that's who God is. You do these things. So we're gonna keep going in verse five through eight. It's talking about how to, how to handle meat and eat meat and prepare it. And it's a little bit of a worship service. But I would say that it's about they're traveling in the wilderness. So we're gonna go, go past that verse. But in verse nine and 10, this is what it says. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So we've just transitioned a little bit to who God is, uh, to some specific rules about people. And here's what God just said. He said, I want you guys, to, you landowners, build huge vineyards, but don't harvest the whole thing. Leave a whole bunch of it out. Leave those edges and corners. Leave that. Don't harvest it. Now, if we're business owners, we'd say, you've given me this land. I should harvest all of it. Don't you want me to use all of it to your glory, God? You want me to just collect all that and, and eat it and sell it to your glory? You've made me the beneficiary of this, and thank you. God says, nope, I don't want you to use all that I've given you. I want you to leave it for the poor. I want you to, to leave it for those that have need. So I see three different things here. I see God saying to the wealthy, trust me. Instead of maxing out your full potential, he's saying, leave some of it, be generous to the poor. Let them come and collect it. He's saying, you don't need to have all of your wealth. I will give you more than enough. I will, I will take care of you, trust me. He's also saying to the needy, I'll take care of you. You don't have need, I'm gonna put a law, a command that they take care of you even though you're poor. You will have food. You will have enough to eat. So if we are living to over and above our capacity in, in our economy, if we make 50,000 and our bills are 70,000, we've exceeded God's commands. He's wanting us to live less than what he's, what he's provided for us. And he's saying, trust me with the rest. We do not do that. We live above and beyond and charge like crazy. And God is saying, don't live like that. If you have enough, trust me. To the poor, if you have poor, God is saying, I'll provide. Let me take care of you. So he had, there's, in America, we have ways for the poor and needy to be taken care of. All of that, though, says one thing to, to me, and that is God loves his people. He takes care of the wealthy and the poor. He's saying to the wealthy, I'll take care of you, trust me. He's saying to the poor, trust me, I'll take care of you. God is a loving, generous, gracious God. He loves to give. And he's saying to us, if this is who I am, that's who I want you to be. So if I am kind, generous, and giving, you also be kind, generous, and giving. That's what he's telling us. This is who I am, you be it also. Leviticus 19, 11 through 14 says, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. 
but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So God is saying, treat your neighbors well. Don't lie. Don't lie to your neighbors. If your neighbor has worked for you, don't wait two months to pay the man. Pay him. Treat your neighbors well. I love what he says about the blind and the deaf. He's saying, don't put a stumbling block before the blind and don't make fun of the deaf because he's saying, yeah, maybe, the, maybe the blind won't see you, but God does. Maybe the deaf won't hear your funny jokes and your curses, but God does, and God doesn't like it. God is saying, treat people how you want to be treated. Treat them better than that. We'll get to that in here in just a minute. God wants us to be nice to our neighbors. Treat others well. The last passage I'll read here is this, 15 through 18. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So let me talk about a couple of highlights here. What we've read in this section, and it goes on the rest of chapter 19, we hear all of life talked about. Work life, family life, economic life, religious life, social life, all of life is in this chapter. When God continues to say, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, all of life, God says, I'm the Lord over it. This is what he's saying. There is no separation between church and state. God is saying, who you are on Sunday is who you should be on Saturday night. You can't live at work one way and go to church on another and expect that to be okay. God says, I am holy all of the time, so should you. You don't get to mix and match. You don't get to be holy at church and not holy with your friends. You're, you're holy over all of it. God is always with you. There is no differentiation between them. I remember when I was in junior high, about the eighth grade, we were in Hayward, California. They were some great people, lots of stories from them, lots of learning opportunities. And my brother and I were playing football in the grass out in front. And then so we came in, getting close to church time, and up on stage was worship practice. And during, I opened the door, and I heard them just chewing each other out. It was a big fight. There was all kinds of stuff going on up there. And I was thinking, oh man, I can't believe adults are acting like this. This is crazy. And I hear one of them say, you shouldn't talk like that on the stage. And I shut the door and I thought, I don't think you should talk like that anywhere. <laughs> and here's, here's what I learned that, that instant. Who you are on the stage is who you are when you're at work. Who you are when you come to church on Sunday mornings is who you are when you are with your family members. Who you are when you're at church on Wednesday night at youth group is who you are when you're with your friends. There is no differentiation. You should be the same person because God is holy over all of it and he's called us to be holy over all of it. There is no mixing and matching. We are holy because God is all of the time. I love verse 17. Because verse 17 just kind of, it kind of comes out of nowhere. You have be nice to the poor, be generous, do all these things. Then it says, but you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You can even do good things and have bad intentions. 
And this one verse just makes sure that we catch God saying, oh no, I got your intentions too. You can do nice things and look good, but God says, I know it all. I got this. You need to, in all you do, have the right heart too. This makes it difficult though, if we're on a checklist. Because if we're checking this off, I don't grade so well anymore. I, I haven't done all that great on a regular basis. But if I am holy because he is, it doesn't matter. When we were in, in Israel a few years ago, we had a young man, uh, he and I were the youngest, and he had just crazy long hair and a beard, wild beard, and he wore tight girl pants, <laughs> which is it's a lot more common nowadays. And he... And he had a, his video, he was our camera guy, and so he was carrying his video case with him. And he literally, we're in Israel. He looked like a terrorist. He looked like a terrorist. He did. And he knew it. So when we're entering the Tel Aviv airport to come home, it's high security, all kinds of stuff's going on. And he's the last one through the door. He's, he's trailing us all by quite a while. And I see him, and so I'm kind of waiting for him. Well, security points at him, and points him over. And so he's going to get talked to and searched and all that. So, so I kind of meander back a little bit just so that he, he, he knew I was waiting. Well, the security guard saw me. And you can tell I'm pretty boring. I'm not, I'm not super exciting. And so the security guard looks at me waiting. He says, is he with you? I said, yeah, yeah, he is. He says, oh, he's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> and so... What I learned is that who you are with will determine what you have access to. If you are with the right people, you have access to a lot of things. We are in relationship to God. It doesn't matter what we've done, right or wrong. It doesn't matter because Christ took care of it for us. He's cleared it. It doesn't matter. We're in relationship with him. We're good. But we just say, oh, I'm with him. And away we walk. If we're not with God, we better start looking at that checklist. And then we need to realize that we're not comparing our, ourselves to the lady next door. I'm comparing myself to Jesus. And it's not going to go very well. So, if we are going to do the checklist, you're in trouble. I'm so glad we can just say, I'm with God. God, I need you. And he comes and he wipes that checklist and he just says, just hang out with me. Let's just be in a relationship Let's just spend some time together. That's what Leviticus 19 is about, is let's just be together. He says, I'm holy, so you be holy. I, I, I've got you covered. We, though, get in this idea of comparison instead of calling. We are called to be holy. Jesus has us all taken care of. Today, I'm gonna pray for you. If you are, uh, if you've not yet said, Jesus, I want you to cover me because I know, I, I know my checklist wouldn't compare. And the, the sound worship team, you guys can come on up. The, if we're gonna pray, if you say, I, I go by the checklist and I know I'm in trouble, so God, I want you to cover me. We're gonna pray for you. And also, if you say, I, go, I know God has me covered, but I still go by that checklist because it makes me feel better, I kind of know, and I still get into that checklist thing. We want to pray for you too because it's, I know I end up there. The, the Pharisees, 
they, they're a great example to me because I, I see myself in them. I, I, I compare, I want to be rule follower and check things off the list. Even when I read my Bible, sometimes I just say, check, and don't even really stop and pause and say, God, what'd you want with me today? I can come into this, this building and sing and, and pray and worship and actually never really spend time with God. And all I've done is check it off and I'm totally missing the point of God saying, Isaac, Look what I've brought you from. I want you to be with me. So I want to pray for you this morning. Uh, Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, today there might be some people who have not yet said that they want to be in relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, that your rules are not checklists, but are just there to help us know you. God, we, we want to know you. For anyone that has not yet made that commitment, Lord, I ask you to grab them today. Let them know that you love them. Let them know they can throw their checklist out because you have them covered. Whatever they've done doesn't matter. It's been washed away. Lord, capture their hearts and mind today. For those of us, Lord, that have been in church a long time and still go by the checklist, Lord, help us to to know that we are saved by grace. You've bought us. You love us. and, And we don't have to go by that. We can just find you wherever we're at. Lord, we love you. We need you in your name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. Will you stand with me and worship?